Welcome to the Forging Metal Podcast with your blacksmiths, Tara O'Brien and Ron Duran Jr. Come inside and grab your hammer. The fire is hot and ready. It's time to harden up. Let's get to work. The forge is now open. All right, all right, all right. Welcome to season two of the Forging Metal podcast. I'm doing a little bit of my Matthew McConaughey uh, interpretation there. So as we mentioned in a previous podcast, we're 50 episodes in. So this is going to be episode 51 that you're listening to right now. So 50 episodes and our one-year anniversary came up and is in the rearview mirror. October 21st was one year since we kicked off Forging Metal what an amazing year. When I started this journey, I really didn't know what to expect. And it's just been a lot of fun for me to learn as much as I have to meet so many wonderful people that I would never have met before. And hopefully, as I bring them into your world that you're meeting them as well. So it's it's been a journey that I don't want it to end. And it's not going to end anytime soon. So as we move forward, I'm very grateful for the last year. And uh, as I said, this is going to be what I'm going to call season two of Forging Metal. As we move forward, you're going to notice, and maybe you already do, this is now a solo act. I'm sad to say that Tara has moved on to some other passion projects that she's interested in. And I want to take just a moment here to say thank you, Tara, for all of her contributions and lending her talent to getting 40 metal to where it is today. I have learned so much from her and with her background in journalism and, and just really interviewing thousands of people in her career, she's taught me so much. And I just wouldn't be here in this position without her contribution. So best of luck to Tara as she goes out to continue making her impact in the world in maybe a little bit different way. So um, hang with me though, because I've got a lot of good stuff that's coming up. A season two is going to be awesome. Before I get to that though, let's, let's, you know, when the, I think I mentioned in a previous podcast that we, Tara and I had done three webinars at Denver startup week. And when the smoke cleared, uh, we had over 850 people sign up for our three webinars. Two of them ended up being categorized as popular, just to give you an idea, you know, that's only going to be given to the, the top webinars and in, in the whole thing. So that was pretty cool. That was very humbling to have that many people sign up. If you were one of the people that signed up and, and maybe joined us, thank you for your support. Our, our three webinars were on burnout, imposter syndrome, and then an, an amazing leadership panel with uh, four of our former guests that I'm in the middle of editing that the, at least the audio version of that. I'm editing it down into a two-part series. So I will probably, after this episode, I will be publishing those on the podcast so that you can hear them. And I would say all three of those webinars are now up on um, YouTube. And I will post links to those in the show notes. There's a reason 850 people signed up for our webinars. It was just topics that resonated with people. With the pandemic, certainly burnout is at the top of mind. And then imposter syndrome. I feel like uh, just about everybody um, suffers from that at times in their life. And so that's something that most people can relate to. So if you're interested in either one of those topics or even the Women's Leadership Panel, that will be coming soon to the Forging Metal Podcast. So 
With that being said, as we begin season two, I'm really excited about the guests that I have lined up. And so I've been working hard as we start season two to line up some good guests. I believe I have six or seven lined up now, and I think you're going to like them. I'm excited to have these discussions and bring these people into your lives because I think you're going to like what they have to say. So stay tuned. That's all I'm going to say is hopefully that uh, whets your appetite for the good stuff that's coming up. So today I'm going to start what I'm going to call a four-part series. And these are, you know, these are what we call the fireside reflections. These are solo casts. And I just want to spend a little bit of time, you know, maybe sharing some of the stuff that I know about mental toughness. One of the models, or really the model that I use, and I've studied several models, but the one that I use that I like is called the four C's model of mental toughness. And those four C's are control, challenge, confidence, and commitment. And so each one of the, as you might guess, the four-part series will cover all four of those elements one at a time. Today, I want to focus on the control aspect. I would just say that this four C's model, if you did a Google search on it, you'd find it. And it's been well proven to stand up to research that, that it works and we can measure it, we can develop it. And I am a licensed practitioner in the MTQ assessment, which is mental toughness questionnaire. I go into organizations and, and say, okay, let's measure the mental toughness of your team, your individuals, And it breaks it down into not only these four C's, but each one of those four C's has a subcategory. Today, again, we're going to focus on control and control is divided into two subcategories and they are life control and emotional control. Before we get too far into this, I want to say this is one of the critiques I have of the four C's model. I like it. It's robust. There's a lot to like about it. I think it's a model that people can relate to. It's easy to understand. I like all of that. And it is always nice when it it comes out like the four C's, right? That's catchy. That's something that that most people that create these things like. But I would say my critique is I would not use the word control here because when we talk about life or emotion, I do not believe that most of the time we have control and and especially with life, we don't control life, right? Life unfolds. I like to say fate delivers whatever it's going to deliver and we're kind of along for the ride in that sense. So when I hear life control, that sounds like I'm trying to control life. And I would say that's not the message I want to deliver to you. I'll certainly unpack that a little bit more as we move forward. The other one, emotion. How many of us think we control emotion? That's that's a fun one, right? And I know some people will make a strong argument that, yeah, I can control my emotions. Emotions are powerful. Anybody that's you know spent any time in life and paid attention knows that emotions sometimes get away from us. So maybe you get very angry. Maybe you get very sad. There's no way that I think I can control my emotions. So I like to use the word manage or perhaps regulate, which comes from sports psychology. You hear that quite a bit to regulate emotions or regulate arousal. I like to do the best I can with my emotions, but also knowing that most of the time I'm not controlling them. They're going to get away from me at times. And I just kind of chalk that up to, hey, we're human beings, we're emotional beings, and sometimes they get away from us. Sometimes they're very powerful. And that's not to say there's anything wrong with you, let that go. Don't beat yourself up over that. So we're going to use the word control because I, you know, if 
fits the model. It wouldn't be the four C's model if we didn't call it control. And I do like the model and I'm going to stick with it, but just know, just kind of read into that, that when we talk about control, I'm, I'm mostly talking about management and regulation, which is a little bit ironic because much of the wording that Doug uses when he describes this is management, not control. So I think it's in there. I think it just was convenient to use control. So let's start with life control. We're going to talk about those two subcategories, but let's start with life control. And this is the idea that maybe you'll say something like, I really believe I can do this. Sometimes you'll hear it called self-efficacy and self-efficacy. We'll talk about in a second here of what that is, but it's really that idea that you can control your inputs into the world. I'm an engineer by training, uh, grew up in a world of math. And so I kind of look at what's going on in life as a multivariable mathematical equation. So if you're you're a, a math aficionado like me, you'll understand that kind of terminology. And if you're not, I think you can kind of maybe understand what I'm saying here is there's a lot of variables, right? And so fate plays a big part in that. What fate delivers to our doorstep on any given day is quite honestly, we can't control that as we, as we talked about. And again, so many variables that who knows what's going to be delivered tomorrow or, or the next day. So I like to say self-efficacy is that idea that the, the my inputs into that equation, which we're going to talk about toward the end here, is, is what I can control. The rest of it, I do not. And so uh, much more about that idea of what we control and what we don't as we move forward. But you can think of those inputs should more than likely create a successful outcome. And sometimes it doesn't. It's not a perfect system, but most of the time, if we make the right decisions and do the right things, show up the right way, most of the time it's going to come out in our favor. And again, I always want to, I want to leave room for life is not fair, right? Nobody, I don't know whoever claimed to you that life's going to be fair, but whoever did, they should stop saying that because we all know sometimes things go against us and whether we want to call that fair or not, I don't know, but that's just the way it goes. You could easily spin that another way and say, that's just the way things are happening. Sometimes the statistics go our way. Sometimes they go against us. That's just the way it goes. And so does that mean it's not fair or that's just, that's just the way it's playing out? I know this is not easy, but, but if we can look at life and remove the emotion from it and be more objective and not subjective, our interpretation of the things that happen to us usually are going to be much more favorable. I think it was Epictetus, one of the, the big three Stoic philosophers, former slave turned philosopher that said, we are not disturbed by things. We are disturbed by our interpretation of things. And so it's not the things that happen to us in life that, that are bothersome. It's how we interpret those. And what is our mindset as we, as we look at that? So that kind of plays into this idea of life isn't fair, right? Or playing the victim again. I would encourage you to think about it as just, that's just the way it goes sometimes. Let's talk about kind of some of the characteristics of people that score high. When I do a, an MTQ assessment, people that score high on the subcategory of life control. Here's some things that maybe you can identify with. And, and if you can't identify, maybe you can identify some areas where you might want to improve. So people that score high on this believe that they can make a difference. When you're, especially when you're doing something challenging, what do you think? I mean, what's your mindset? Do you think you can make a difference or do you feel maybe you're a little more fatalistic? Maybe you're a little more negative, maybe pessimistic that you can't make a difference. So be on the lookout for that. If you start to feel that you can't make a difference, maybe you are a little bit low on life control. Another one that comes up in the, in 
the research is people that score high on this can juggle multiple balls in the air. I don't want to ever say, hey, this sounds like multitasking. I don't want to encourage multitasking. It's not good for us. We we certainly seem to be drunk on multitasking in modern society, and, and that's not what I would encourage. And I don't think the research would back that up. I think what it's saying is you can have multiple things going on and not be overwhelmed by it when you have good life control. So I think that can be a positive, but again, don't be uh, dividing your attention between multiple things is what I would encourage. Uh, They're usually good at planning and organization. I tend to be pretty good at planning, but my organization is horrible. So this is definitely an area that I've identified as, as an area that I can get better at to have a little bit better life control. Uh, they believe a strong work ethic makes all things possible. I would throw out there hard work is necessary, but not sufficient. Okay. Necessary, but not sufficient. How many people have we seen that go through a life working incredibly hard and not finding, and I should put this in air quotes, not finding the success that they want. I think hard work's part of the equation, but we also need to be smart about that hard work because hard work all by itself doesn't always yield the results that we want. So keep that in mind. I think work ethic is important, but let's be smart about it. Uh, They have a, a growth mindset. If you're familiar with growth mindset, they're really, growth mindset is the idea that I don't know how to do this yet. It really is this idea that I can figure anything out. If you give me enough time and and I can put in the effort and and have the right attitude, I can figure this out. That's a growth mindset as opposed to a fixed mindset, which is quite honestly, roughly the, the opposite of that, where you feel like your talents and your intelligence and all those things are fixed. And once you hit a, a barrier, you don't feel like you can go past that growth mindsets. Absolutely opposite of that. They say, yep, obstacle. I can figure out a way to get around it. So that certainly shows up in the research. They have a positive, optimistic attitude and what I'm going to call uh, grounded optimism. We don't want to be um, optimistic and ignore reality, especially when reality is not favorable. You know, when things suck, we want to acknowledge that it sucks. Okay. And so that's what I like to call grounded optimism. Still stick with your optimism that you're going to get through it, but also acknowledge the fact that this really sucks. We have a guest coming up that I think I'm going to, I'm going to delve into this topic of James Stockdale and basically what's called the Stockdale paradox. And, and that is where grounded optimism shows up. So maybe that's a little bit of a teaser for a podcast coming up, but just for now, just say that yes, positive optimistic attitudes, good mix in uh, realism as well. And then lastly, people that score high on life control have an internal locus of control. Again, it's this idea that I'm not a victim. I have agency. I have control over my inputs into the world and I'm confident in those inputs. And so that is going to be the hallmarks of somebody with an internal locus of control versus what? Uh, external locus of control where you feel like everything's happening to you and you're just kind of, you know, you're a victim, you are blowing in the wind, you're very reactive to life instead of being proactive. That's external locus of control. All right. So there you go. There is life control. Now let's shift to emotional control. And this is that feeling that I can manage my own and others' emotions. I think that people that are very mentally tough are very strategic about when they show their own emotions and when to mask them. 
I'm not a believer that leaders and, and really anybody should always mask their emotions. That is kind of old thinking. You know, Brene Brown has certainly advanced the idea of let's be vulnerable. Let's show emotion when it is appropriate. You know, the context is, is an appropriate time to show it. So I'm a believer in that. And, you know, as a leadership professor, I'm always counseling young leaders to don't be afraid to show that you're human, show that you have emotion. And if you do it the right way, not only is it not going to make you look weak, it's actually going to show you as being a strong leader. But again, I'm going to be very careful to say, understand when to show it and when not to. Sometimes it is in our best interest to mask it. I always like to use the example of we don't want the, you know, the captain of the Titanic running up and down the deck saying, oh, we're all going to die. In a situation, especially crisis situations, we want to mask that fear and anxiety because of what we're going to talk about a little bit later is those emotions can be contagious to our, our followers and our team. So again, people that, that score high in this area are usually pretty good at managing not only their own, but also others' emotional responses. So how hard is it, do you think, to manage your emotional responses? I'm an emotional guy. So for me, it's, it's, it's difficult. I'm a work in progress, as I like to say. And it's not always easy. Sometimes I lose that battle. And it has hurt relationships in the past because of that. So the better you can do at that, uh, I think, is always a step in the right direction. Um, don't be too hard on yourself if you slip up. But work at that. I've improved. Again, I'm still working on it, but I've improved. And I think my relationships have improved right along with that. The other part of this, which I think is a little bit maybe surprising, is people that score high on this subcategory are good about influencing the emotional response of others. And so what I alluded to earlier is something in psychology called emotional contagion. And, you know, our intuition would probably tell us, yeah, I get, you're going to understand what I'm saying here is our emotions, our attitude influence those around us, right? So if I have a bad attitude, how many people have, you know, been around somebody with a bad attitude? How much fun is that? In addition, I would say, do they have a tendency to drag you down? Maybe you come with a great attitude and they have a bad attitude and it actually takes your good attitude away. So be careful. That doesn't mean that we have to go along with people that have bad attitudes or bad emotions, but understand that that's going to be working against you because we are social creatures and we do follow along. And so, but here's the thing, it goes both ways. Negative, bad attitudes can suck us down, but positive, good attitudes can lift us up. And so the people that know this and understand this can use this with whoever they're around, uh, bring a good attitude and people are going to enjoy being around you. Your relationships are going to strengthen a lot of good things. Now, I also want to be very careful to say, you know, again, we're not perfect. Not every day. You don't have to be the, the bright light every day. Give yourself a little bit of, of room for having bad days. And sometimes the attitude's not going to be good. And sometimes uh, that's just the way it goes. So we're not ever looking for perfection when we talk about these things. Bad days are okay. Give yourself some grace. Moving on. People that score high on this are difficult to provoke or annoy, right? They're the people that they just don't, you can't get a rise out of them. We've probably all known people like that. I always feel like I want to be more like that. That's This is certainly an area that I've worked on as well, where I'm not easily provoked. Nothing really gets to me, you know, that idea. And kind of building on that, people that, that score high in this, are they deal well with difficult people and even bullies. This is fascinating to me that people who score high in this category on the MTQ assessment report less bullying 
And so what's going on there? I'm certainly not condoning bullying. I think that's ridiculous, obviously, for all the reasons that you might expect. With more mental toughness, you can you can probably withstand bullying better. And so I'm not sure, I need to look into the research. I'm not sure what's going on there. Is it the mentally tough are better at standing up for themselves? That could be a possibility. Or is it that the mentally tough just don't let it get to them? Again, they don't let people provoke or annoy them. If you don't give rise to a bully, then usually they lose interest. And so, and quite honestly, it could be a combination of the two. Uh, they Maybe they do, they're doing a little bit of both. But that's interesting. And so with, you know, bullying being on the rise in schools, you would think that maybe we'd be looking at more ways to develop and increase mental toughness in our youngsters. I'm certainly on board with that idea. I think that we need to not only adults, but also our our young people. So those are some of the hallmarks of the mentally tough in in the category of control. And again, these all can be measured with the MTQ assessment and Here's the beautiful thing. I wouldn't be sharing this. If you can further develop it, you can. This is not just something you're born with, all right? Some of it is innate. Some of it is in our genes, but much of it is something we can work on and we can develop. Hopefully you heard some things in that list that you say, yeah, I'm not very good at that and I would like to get better. Take, Take one from each list. That's what I would recommend. Take one from each list and work on it. See if you can strengthen that. So as we wrap up, I want to say... I'm going to offer you a prescription. I'm going to do my Matthew McConaughey prescription. I mean, this is what I'd offer. Some things to think about as we wrap this up. As you move forward, and let's say I've convinced you that this is an area that you want to get better at. What I would, what I would recommend, and I do this with all of my students and, and many of my coaching clients, is start to you know get out a good old-fashioned uh, pen and paper and write write down some stuff. I'm not a fan of typing on a keyboard. Uh, Writing down the old-fashioned way is the best way to learn and really to kind of reflect and synthesize things that you're processing. So I do this every day, the journaling. And so I'm I'm a big believer. But sit down and start to, you know, just kind of look at things in your life and say, what do I control? What do I truly control? And start to get a, a good understanding of what you control and what you don't. Let me offer a few things to get the kind of get the gears turning. So you can you can go off and do this on your own, but I want to throw some things out there to get you thinking. So for example, parents, do you have control over your children? I know some parents say, heck no, I don't. But there's other parents that say, yeah, they're, they're my kids. They live under my house, under my rules, and I control them. And I'd say, do you? How many times have kids gone off and done whatever they want. And it's certainly in violation of, of what you have told them or whatever rules you might have. So this idea that we control our children, I, I think is, if you're really being honest with yourself, is probably not something that we could say happens. What about kind of the same thinking, managers and leaders? Do you control your subordinates? And you might say, well, I can fire them, right? I can hire and fire them. And so I have control. And I would say, do you? How many times have our subordinates do, done things that we didn't want them to do? So again, um, I think anytime we're talking about other people, I would say we, we need to understand we don't control that. We can influence, um, and sometimes we can influence greatly your kids or your subordinates, but you don't have 100% control. And let me be clear, when I'm talking about control, I'm talking about 100% control. All right. Some people like to argue, well, that you have some control, but you, you know, you don't have complete control. I, you know, I'm not even going to go there. You can have that, that conversation if you want. I'm going to say you either have complete control or you don't have control. 
That's just the way I, I look at that as black and white. And that's the way the Stoic philosophy would look at it as well. Now, in between complete control and no control is, is influence. And I do think we want to plug into that. We want to get good at that. And we want to use that. I'm not advocating that we, we say, well, I can't control that. So I'm not even going to try. That's not what I'm saying. So if we say we don't control our kids, does that mean we just let them do whatever they want? No, that's not what I'm saying. But I think that at the end of the day, we just understand we don't have 100% control over them. That's, that's what I want to leave you with. What about our reputation? This is, this is always fun, right? There's a lot of memes out there. A lot of you know, smart people say, you know, what, something along the lines of, you know, you spend a lifetime building your reputation and you can destroy it in 10 minutes or whatever. And I'm here to tell you, can I control my reputation? Absolutely not. A reputation is your opinion of me. Can I control that? No, I can't. I can do everything right and you still might not like me. That's just the way it works. And so let go of this idea that you control that. Influence it, yes, but control, no. What about your health? This is another one that trips people up. Do we control our health? Well, yeah, Ron, I can exercise and I can eat good things and take care of myself and all that good stuff. Yeah, that's great. I encourage that. That's influence. That's not control. As I sit here talking to you right now, I could have terminal cancer and it's completely out of my control if I do. So understand that there's another thing that we don't control. What about promotions at, at work? Maybe advancement opportunities or not even uh, just, just advancement, not the opportunities itself, but do we control the salary we get or the promotions we get in our career? I think that one's an easier one to say, no, you can do all the right things. You can be qualified and still not get the job. So most of us have probably faced that. So what is my point to all this? I think what my point is I want to, and by the way, I'm a recovering control freak. I spent most of my life trying to control things I couldn't. It leads to a lot of stress, a lot of distress, and a lot of anxiety. It's frustrating to try to control things you can't. And then it's just a vicious cycle because you keep trying to control those things and you get frustrated and then you do it some more. And you think that maybe sometimes you're winning, but you're really, at the end of the day, you're not winning anything. It's a tough place to live your life. And so as you get down to this, you're going to start to learn. If you do this and you do this the right way, you're going to understand there's not much that you do have 100% control over. And that might be frightening. It might even be depressing. If you're a control freak like me, that's going to bother you at the beginning. But I'd say breathe into it. And once you do, you're going to find out that once you let go of that stuff, your life's going to be a lot better. My life is transformed since I've let go of the things I can't control. And so what do we control? Uh, really, you know, you can, you can create your own list, but here's some things I would offer. Our attitude, our effort, reason choices, perhaps our opinion, the mindset that we have, our interpretation of things that happen to us. Those are all things that we control. Would you agree? These are all inputs into the equation. If we control those and there's not much there, you know, these are the things between our ears, right? If we control that, we're going to do well in life more often than not. Let go of those things you can't control. Control the things you can and control them well. Spend your energy there and you're going to live a much better, you know, less stressed life with less anxiety. I know this because I've walked this path and, and I know a lot of people that have. So I want to leave you with all of that. So think about what that means to you. This idea of control. What do I control? What do I not control? As they always like to say, you know, as a former athlete, control the controllables was, was something I heard a lot when I was getting coached. And uh, there's wisdom in that. So 
Thank you uh, for joining me on this Fireside Reflections. Go out and, and use that and stay tuned for three more episodes that are going to cover the other three C's of the 4C model. Until then, um, thanks for listening and we'll see you next week. Thanks for joining us this week. If you enjoyed the podcast, please tell all your friends. If you didn't, let's just forget this happened and we'll try again next week. Until then, join the revolution to forge metal and connect with us on social media.